morning. Good morning, Jim. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for being able to be in your house. And Lord, I thank you for your servant who's going to teach us. And Lord, I pray that you would uh, have us in a heart where we can learn. And Lord, we ask your blessing on the, the services and everything that's done and said today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, have you ever had one of those days where you get up in the morning, you're not sure where you are, you get out of bed, you're not sure what you're doing, you get in the car and you drive on autopilot, you get to where you're going and you realize you forgot your Bible. Have you ever had one of those days? So, today was one of those days for me. Um, my, uh, my study Bible is at home. So what I did is I borrowed my son's Bible. So I'm going to uh, use his Bible. So I have no notes, which uh, I suppose that doesn't mean much because I never follow my notes. Anyway. Uh, it's been an, an incredible week. Uh, we had elections this week. And I, if I was a, a betting man and placing bets, I would have gotten very rich. <laughs> that doesn't mean that I wanted those outcomes, but yeah. those are some of the outcomes that some of us expected would happen because of the world that we live in. Mm -hmm. um, and it can be very discouraging. I know when I woke up the next morning after the election, I had to head down to uh, the Willamette Valley for uh, visiting various projects in the valley. And I just had kind of a heaviness of heart, and it actually took my appetite away, and all sorts of things happened. And it wasn't really a depression, it was just kind of a, wow, this is the world that we live in. It just, um, it bothered me, for lack of a better word. And I know I was sharing that with Bob this last Friday night, he said he experienced the same thing. And then we opened to Daniel chapter 6, and you read about... The, the Persian king, the Darius, Darius the Mede, and, um, and he experienced the same thing. When uh, an unexpected outcome happened, it actually bothered him. He couldn't sleep, he couldn't eat. And so I thought, well, what do you do when you're in a place like that? What do you do when you're um, not overcome by the world, but you see the world going a direction and you know you just want to scream at the top of your lungs stop! Don't you know where that's going? What do you do? So this morning I thought we would start out in Psalm 23. There are a lot of psalms we can pick for a day like today where you forget your Bible. Uh, let's have someone read through Psalm 23. And I, I just had it pointed out to me, interestingly. If you look at Psalm 22, it's a psalm of the cross. If you look at Psalm 23, it's a psalm of the crook, shepherd's crook. If you look at Psalm 24, it's a psalm of the crown. And I just thought, that's, that's crazy. But we're going to look right in the middle of that, between the cross and the crown. And we're going to look at the shepherd's crook today. Do you want to read Psalm 23? 
Go for it. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me life to lie down in the pastures, he leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul, he leadeth me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, and cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. So what kinds of things jump out at you as you read through that psalm? God's in control. God's in control. That's, that's exactly why I picked it, because we need to know, in an hour such as this, that God's in control. Nothing catches him by surprise. Nothing is outside of his plan. We don't always understand how we fit into that, but every um, thought and intention of God's heart is deliberate. And so how we see history playing out uh, and our place in it is according to God's plan. He is, he is the king. He is the sovereign. And things are occurring according to, to his will and his purpose. And that we see that in that there are four uh, statements that he causes me or makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness. And then there's the impact of that. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You've anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Truly goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And that's what I'd like you to take away from that this morning. In a place of maybe where you've lost your appetite and you can't sleep. And you're looking at the world around you. Just remember, surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Let's, uh, let's take a look at 2 Samuel chapter 13. And I know I've been threatening that we would actually read through this. So we're going to do that this morning. We're going to read through 2 Samuel 13 and 14 first. And then uh, we'll start hopscotching through 15 through 20. To catch the story of what occurred after David's sin. And how that affected David and how it affects us. What, what had happened, I guess, before we jump in, what had happened up to chapter 13 in 2 Samuel? Can somebody give me a, a summary? Anyone? Because you don't want me to do it. I'll take more than three cents. David sinned with Bathsheba, and he got rebuked by Nathan, and then the kid that Bathsheba had died. Yep. So that's that was chapter uh, 11 and 12. And prior to that, we see that David 
had gone through uh, a period of formation, rising as God's chosen servant, uh, king over his people, and that um, he had kind of reached the apex of, of his uh, career as a king in human terms. God wasn't done with him yet. But certainly if you were to measure him by the world, you would see that he'd reached the top of his game. And at the top of his game is where he fell. Um, and that's something to, to be uh, appreciated, that even when you um, are following God very closely and listening to his voice and consulting him regularly, temptation is still lurking and wanting to, to snare you, that we do have an enemy, and we need to be aware of that. And the enemy seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to steal from you everything of value. He wants to kill everything living, and ultimately he wants to destroy you, including your soul. We have an enemy, and that enemy seeks not to just destroy us, but to destroy everything around us. You know, I think of um, some of the weapons that are used today, we call them weapons of mass destruction. They're intended not uh, just to affect uh, a single success in a battle, like, for example, a focused bomb, but they're intended to cause widespread damage, and that's the way that we are attacked. We're attacked with weapons of mass destruction. And what you see now is kind of the, the shock wave of this sinful action that David fell into as a result of temptation going outwards and how it affects him personally, his family immediately, and the whole community as a result of that. And that's what we're going to look at. Why don't we read? start reading in chapter 13, um, one of the things I do is I, uh, in Bible study is I do a read-around. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to read chapter 13 and somebody then read chapter 14. Does that sound okay? And if we get to chapter 15 today, we'll have somebody else read that. So I'll read chapter 13. Now, it was after this that Absalom, the son of David, had a beautiful sister whose name was Tamar. And Amnon, the son of David, loved her. Amnon was so frustrated because of his sister Tamar that he made himself ill, for she was a virgin, and it seemed hard to Amnon to do anything to her. But Amnon had a friend whose name was Jonadab, the son of Shemaiah, David's brother. And Jonadab was a very shrewd man. He said to him, O son of the king, why are you so depressed morning after morning? Will you not tell me? Then Amnon said to him, I am in love with Tamar, the sister of my brother Absalom. Jonadab said to him, Lie down on your bed and pretend to be ill. When your father comes to see you, say to him, Please let my sister Tamar come and give me some food to eat, and let her prepare food in my sight, that I may see it and eat from her hand. So Amnon lay down and pretended to be ill. When the king came to see him, Amnon said to the king, Please let my sister Tamar come and make a couple of cakes in my sight, that I may eat from her hand. Then David sent to the house for Tamar, saying, Go now to your brother Amnon's house and prepare food for him. So Tamar went to her brother Amnon's house, 
and he was lying down. And she took dough, kneaded it, and made cakes in the sight, and baked the cakes. And she took the pan and dished them out before him, but he refused to eat. And Amnon said, Have everyone go out from me. So everyone went out from him. Then Amnon said to Tamar, Bring the food into the bedroom, that I may eat from your hand. So Tamar took the cakes which she had made and brought them into the bedroom where her brother Amnon, uh, to her brother Amnon. When she brought them to him to eat, he took hold of her and said to her, Come lie with me, my sister. But she answered him, No, my brother, do not violate me, for such a thing is not done in Israel. Do not do this disgraceful thing. As for me, where could I get rid of my reproach? And as for you, you will be like one of the fools in Israel. Now, therefore, please speak to the king, for he will not withhold me from you. However, he would not listen to her. Since he was stronger than she, he violated her and lay with her. Then Amnon hated her with a very great hatred, for the hatred with which he hated her was greater than the love with which he had loved her. And Amnon said to her, Get up, go away. But she said to him, No, because this wrong and sending me away is greater than the other that you have done to me. And he would not listen to her. Then he called his young man who attended him and said, Now throw this woman out of my presence and lock the door behind her. Now she had on a long-sleeved garment, for this was uh, the manner of virgin daughters of the king, that they dressed themselves in robes. Then his attendant took her out and locked the door behind her. Tamar put ashes on her head, and tore her long-sleeved garment which was on her, and she put her hand on her head, and went away, crying aloud as she went. Then Absalom, her brother, said to her, Has Amnon, your brother, been with you? But now keep silent, my sister. He is your brother. Do not take this matter to heart. So Tamar remained and was desolate in her brother Absalom's house. Now when King David heard of all these matters, he was very angry. But Absalom did not speak to Amnon, either good or bad. For Absalom hated Amnon because he had violated his sister Tamar. Now it came about after two full years that Absalom had sheep shears in Baal-Hazor, or Baal-Hazor, which is near Ephraim. And Absalom invited all the king's sons. Absalom came to the king and said, Behold, now your servant has sheep shears. Please let the king and his servants go with your servant." But the king said to Absalom, No, my son, we should not all go, for we will be a burden to you. Although he urged him, he would not go, but blessed him. Then Absalom said, If not, please let my brother Amnon go with us. And the king said to him, Why should he go with you? But when Absalom urged him, he let Amnon and all the king's sons go with him. Absalom commanded his servants, saying, See now, when Amnon's heart is merry with wine, and when I say to you, to you, strike Amnon, then put him to death. Do not fear. Have, uh, have not I myself commanded you? Be courageous and be valiant. The servants of Absalom did to Amnon just as Absalom had commanded. Then all the king's sons arose, and each mounted his mule and fled. Now it was while they were on the way that the report came to David, saying, Absalom has struck down all the king's sons, and not one of them is left. Then the king arose tore his clothes, and lay on the ground. And all his servants were standing by with clothes torn. Jonadab, the son of Shemaiah, David's brother, responded, Do not let my lord suppose that they have put to death all the young men, the king's sons, for Amnon alone is dead, because by 
the intent of Absalom, this has been determined since the day that he violated his sister Tamar. Now, therefore, do not let my lord the king take the report to heart. Namely, all the king's sons are dead, for only Amnon is dead. Now Absalom had fled, and the young man who was the watchman raised his eyes and looked, and behold, many of the people, many people were coming from the road behind him by the side of the mountain. Jonadab said to the king, Behold, the king's sons have come, according to your servant's word. So it happened. As soon as he had finished speaking, behold, the king's sons came and lifted their voices and wept. And also the king and all his servants wept very bitterly. Now Absalom fled and went to Talmai, the son of Amihud, the king of Geshur. And David mourned for his son every day. So Absalom had fled and gone to Geshur and was there three years. And the heart of David... Uh, King David longed to go out to Absalom, for he was comforted concerning Amnon since he was dead. So you want to read chapter 14? Joab, son of Zeruiah, knew that the king's heart longed for Absalom, so Joab sent someone to Tekoa and had a wise woman brought from there. He said to her, pretend you are in mourning, dress in mourning clothes, and don't Use any cosmetic lotions. Act like a woman who has spent many days grieving for the dead. Then go to the king and speak these words to him. And Joab put the words in her mouth. When the woman from Tekoa went to the king, she fell uh, with her face to the ground to pay him honor. And she said, Help me, O king. The king asked her, Who is troubling you? She said, I indeed uh, a widow. My husband is dead. I indeed a widow. My husband is dead. Your servant had two sons. I, your servant, had two sons. They got into a fight with each other in the field, and no one was there to separate them. One struck the other and killed him. Now the whole clan has arisen up against your servant. They say, hand over the one who struck his brother down so that we may put him to death for the life of his brother whom he killed. Then we will get rid of of the air as well. They would put out the only uh, burning coal I have left, leaving my husband neither name nor descendant on the face of the earth. The king said to the woman, Go home, I will issue an order in your, on your behalf. But the woman from Tekoa said to him, My lord, the king, uh, let the, brain, the blame rest on me and on my father's family, and let the king and his throne be without guilt. The king replied, If anyone says anything to you, bring him to me, and he will not bother you again. She said, Then let the king invoke the Lord his God to uh, the avenger of blood from adding to the destruction, so that my son will not be destroyed. As surely as the Lord lives, he said, Not one hair of your son's head will fall to the ground. Then the woman said, Let your servant speak a word to my lord the king. So he replied, the woman said, Why then have you devised a thing like this against the people of God? When the king says this, does he not convict himself? For the king has not brought back his banished son. Like water spilled on the ground, which cannot be recovered, so uh, we must die. But God does not take away life. Instead, he devises ways so that a banished person may not remain estranged from him. <coughs> And now I have come to say this to my lord the king, because the people have made me afraid. 
Your servant thought I will speak to the king. Perhaps he will do what his servant asks. Perhaps the king will agree to deliver his servant from the hand of the man who is trying to cut off both me and my son from the inheritance. God save us. And now your servant says, May the word of my Lord, the king, bring me rest. For my Lord, the king, is like an angel of God in discerning good and evil. May the Lord your God be with you. Then the king said to the servant, Do not keep from me the answer to what I am going to ask you. Let my lord the king speak, the woman said. The king asked, Isn't the hand of Joab with you in all of this? The woman answered, As surely as you live, my lord the king, no one can turn to the right or to the left from anything my lord the king says. Yes, it was your servant Joab who instructed me to do this, and who put all these words into my mouth, into the mouth of your servant. Joab did this to change the present situation. My Lord has wisdom, like that of an angel of God. He knows everything and what happens in the land. The king said to Joab, very well, I will do it. Bring back the young man Absalom. Joab fell with his face to the ground to pay him honor, and he blessed the king. Uh, Joab said, today your servant knows that he has found favor in your eyes, my Lord. Joab went to Geshur and brought Absalom back to Jerusalem. But the king said to him, uh, said, He must go to his own home, he must not see my face. So Absalom went to his own home and did not see the face of the king. In all Israel there was not a man so highly praised for his handsome appearance as Absalom. From the top of his head to the sole of his feet there was no blemish in him. Whenever he cut the hair of his head, he he used to cut his hair from time to time when it became too heavy for him. He would weigh it, and it weighed, its weight was 200 shekels by the royal standard. Three sons and a daughter were born to Absalom. The daughter's name was Tamar, and she became a beautiful woman. Absalom lived two years in Jerusalem without seeing the king's face. Then Absalom sent for Joab in order to send him to the king, but Joab refused to come to him. So he sent a second time, but he refused uh, to come. Then he said to his servants, Look, Joab's field is next to mine, and he has barley there. Go and set it on fires. So Absalom's servants uh, set the field on fire. Then Joab did go to Absalom's house, and he said to him, Why have your, why have your servants set my field on fire? Absalom said to Joab, Look, I sent word to you, and said, Come here, so I can send you to the king to ask, why have I come from Geshur? Uh, it would be better for me if I, if I were still there. Now then, I want to see the king's face, and if I'm guilty of anything, let him put me to death. So Joab went to the king and told him this. Then the king summoned Absalom, and he came in and bowed down with his face to the ground before the king, and the king kissed Absalom. <laughs> So, what's happening in this? Got a, a picture of the Middle East here. Give you an idea. This is occurring right down in this little area down here. So, right down here is where this whole thing plays out. You can see there's a much larger world. But in these guys' world, this was the biggest thing going on at the time. Let's zoom in a little bit. 
and see if we can, uh, yeah, this kind of gives us what we're looking for. Maybe I can even get in one further. Oh, too close. Go back a little bit. So I'll try and build up the names here. Okay, so Jerusalem and this mess of cities here is right there. And some of the uh, places that we see that pop up in this this story, I will bring it into focus. Does that help? That's good. Um, so the story starts out in Jerusalem, down here, and what's happening in this story? The days of our lives. The days of our lives. Yeah, it is a soap opera. And uh, and actually the days of our lives is kind of a an appropriate name for what's going on there. So uh, David has lots of sons, right? And who are the characters in this story? Who are the sons? Absalom and Amnon. Who is Amnon? Yeah, the question is, which son is he? Yeah, which son is he? Any guesses? Is he the first son? He's the first son. Oh, Absalom is the first son. No, Amnon. Yes. And so he's in line for the throne. He is the... Just for context, is they yes. still have three wives. Yes. So these, all these kids are part of those three original Right. Wives. So if you go back... Except the one wife never conceived. Uh, Michael. Which one? Michael. Oh, correct. Right. Right. So it's really yeah. probably right. two wives. Actually, four, because Bathsheba's in there. Yeah, so he, and, and you, it lists the children of David in various places. And they're not always chronological. But there are three, three producing women yep. that are doing these children. Yep. And, and one of those wives uh, was a leveret marriage, Abigail. Right? So the children, or at least the firstborn male from that union, would not be in line for the throne. Because um, he would be the inheritor of his father's estate, his inheritance, and not uh, an heir of the throne. So the order was actually Amnon, the firstborn of Abigail, and then Absalom. So you don't hear about the, the second in line here. In fact, you don't hear about him all the way through, and that's why. Uh, is because he's not politically in play. But Amnon is, so he's the heir. And, uh, and Absalom has a sister, uh, Tamar, Tamar. Maybe. But you said Absalom was the second in line? Pardon? Absalom was the second in line. He's second in line even though he was the third in order. Um, so if he gets rid of the first in line. Pardon? <laughs> well, uh, so now you see a little bit bigger piece of the story. And his 
sister is the one that Amnon really wants. But what's wrong with Amnon's desire? It's not love. It's, pardon? It's not love, it's lust. Well, it's his sister. Well, yeah. But we understand that being his sister didn't, uh, in this culture, exclude her as being well, she a said, potential wife. Did, doesn't she say that it should exclude me? Uh, no, actually what she says is, if this is your heart's desire, just go ask the king. He won't withhold me from being your wife. And, you know, if we go back to uh, the law and look at what the Mosaic law was, well, she would have been excluded. However, culturally, that was okay. Culture of the day was, it was okay to have many wives and you know, have lots of intermarriage uh, within the, the family and that kind of thing. So that was that was normal, right? We have a new normal today, <laughs> according to cultural cultural what's culturally accepted. So David was operating in the culture of the day, and so was Amnon and Absalom, and and they're all good men of the world. And Amnon says, "Hey, I want my brother's sister." And so what happens? He plots to get her in and rapes her. Pardon? He plots to get her into his room he, he and plots. rapes her. Yep. And actually, he didn't plot alone. No. In fact, it doesn't show that this guy's a great strategist. Right. <laughs> well, actually, uh, his cousin comes to him, David's brother's son, and says, Hey, I know how you can pull this off. Why would David's brother's son get involved in this? To get an in on the new king. Pardon? To get an in on the new king, maybe? You know, there was probably some bad blood between David and his brothers. And um, even though David brought protected his family and brought him in, there was still all sorts of messed up family dynamics. And it was not just David, but it was David's family and their families. So it is truly a soap opera. And you get all this intrigue and, and stuff going on. How much of that do you think is according to God's will? <laughs> so these guys, they had a good example of what a person after God's heart looked like, but it didn't go very far. Let's go back to this God's will Okay. Okay, so the families are dysfunctional, really. Yeah. Even David's family. Yep. Um, certainly as kids. Uh, I mean, are you saying that's God's plan? <laughs> that, that he would be in a dysfunctional family? Well, yeah. I mean, I, I don't. This certainly isn't an ideal situation, is it? No, it's not supposed to be that way from the, the beginning. The whole thing in David's family is just a mess. You know, it leads to the divided kingdom and, and brother against brother. And, I mean, come on. Yeah, come on. It's like, why is the world so messed up like this? There, there is, we understand that there's a design of God, and this clearly isn't following the design. But you have to remember that... Gave us free will. 
Yes. So, so, so he makes a choice. There's free will and choice in here. Yes, sir. You talked about culture, you know, and what we're going through today. We're Americans. This is our culture doing what we're doing. Yep. And simply because your culture says it's right, doesn't mean it's right. Right. But God also works within the culture. Because you read earlier on in the book that when David took the kingdom from Saul, it says God granted him Saul's concubines. Right. And in the culture, politically, that is showing the people the power that he's taking over. That doesn't mean David had to use concubines like Saul used concubines, but they were his responsibility. Right. And the point being is, is a lot of people say, well, David shouldn't have had concubines. Okay, fine, you can say that. Just like you could say Thomas Jefferson shouldn't have had slaves. Right. But the point being is, in the culture in the day, how was it truly done as far as a man's faith and walk before God? It's not as easy to clear cut and say, you can't do this, you can't do that. I... I uh, agree that we need to pay attention to culture, and we maybe need to look a little bit further at Saul's concubines, because one of the things that you find is that David didn't bring four children by those right. concubines. Rather, what would happen to the concubines and wives and family of a king when he was uh, replaced? They'd be killed. They'd be killed. So... What is God granting? Is he granting David, David um, to behave like the kings of, of the culture? Or is he saying, you know, the kings of the culture would behave this way, but I'm about preserving life? Yeah, that, that's the point. That's the choice put before David. Yes. But see, there would be those who would say, David, you're a figurehead, you're the king, you can't have a concubine. And yet you could sit there and say, well, wait a minute. Right. Exactly what you said. What would have happened to this woman? Right. But see, the culture would have said she should have been put to death. Right. Because she was a carpenter. Yep. That's and, and we have a lot of, uh, before us today, and, and in every age, uh, choices that we need to make to discern what God's will is, to get back to God's will, um, and God's design, understanding what God designed, and then we have a choice of acting on the way that the culture around us would work or operating within God's plan as he's designed it to work within the culture. In other words, he doesn't take us out of the world. Rather, he changes us in the world. This is really important. Right? So my son and I, uh, yesterday, he was helping me get leaves out of the, out of the lawn, which was, I'm really grateful for and he brought up this point, he said, so with the whole gay marriage thing going on right now, and, and preceding this, there was already a civil recognition of uh, civil union, right? So property law had already been addressed. And what they did in this last, uh, last law is that they actually changed the definition of marriage. Right, such that it didn't change the property law, but it changed what qualifies a marriage. Uh, there's implications to that, which I hadn't considered. And my son pointed it out. He said, so 
I live in a house with a bunch of guys. They have this concept called common law marriage. Does that mean if I live in the house for seven years with my roommates that we would, by the new definition of marriage, be bound by property laws of the state? That's a good question. It's a good question. It's like, dude, that was smart. Who thought of this? Yes, sir. I, uh, there, there's a relevant point to be made here, though. We, we can change the definitions of laws. Uh, but somebody asked a, a question of Abraham Lincoln. If, if, if a dog's tail is counted as a leg, how many legs does a dog have? And his reply was, four, because whether it's a law or not, you can't make a tail into a leg. Right. And our legislature, and their infinite unwisdom, have decided that they're going to change the definition of what marriage is, but they might as well be King Canute standing at the water's edge telling the tide to go back. Right. And that's and that's the that's the point I think that Sean's making and that Tim's making is that very thing. Just because the culture says one thing, we are still presented with a choice to understand understanding God's design and his will, what choice will we make? Will we choose God or will we choose man? Now we know that go ahead. Well it works the other way too. You have those on the religious side who simply worry about the perception of certain things instead of looking at the reality of certain things. And the reality of it is, is look, this is the world we live in. It's going to be a mess. How do you really seek the will of God in the heart of God, in the heart of an individual? If you simply work off of perceptions, you will throw tons of people in the wayside. And God never wanted that either. Right. So you need to have a guide. You need to have one who will lead you uh, to the green pastures and that will bring you to the still waters, right? You need to have God as your guide because it's, it's very tough to figure these things out. And that's, in a way, what this story is about. So we see that sin had entered into the picture and it has a destructive force that goes out. And it's going out into David's family. We saw that first... Um, the design of God was violated by David taking Bathsheba as his wife. Now, in a sense, um, David did the right thing. After he committed adultery, he took Bathsheba as his wife as a form of love and marriage. Right? We understand that um, Uriah the Hittite, like Caleb, was joined to the tribe of Judah and that there was leveret marriage involved. Yes, sir. So, so, so well, I mean, if... Um that she was a leopard, leopard wife, didn't you just say that a an elaborate marriage, the child takes the inheritance of their father? Yes. So why is it the song and then can become king? And, and that's a good question. Why is it that David could become a king only being a few generations removed from his mother, uh, or his uh, great-grandmother Ruth, the Moabites? One of the things that I will say is if you read the genealogy 
of the Christ, the Messiah, it is not a clean genealogy. It's a mess. It is a mess. And it includes a lot of people that were not first. Right. Yeah. Jacob and Esau. And and what you see is you see this pattern repeated throughout throughout uh, history that God chooses the unexpected, the least likely, to bring forth his plan. Now, why does he do that? To show that he's God and you're not. We have this way that we think it should be. There's a way that seems right to a man. Right? And we say, this is the way it should work. And guess what? It doesn't work that way. Solomon was also the second son of yes. Bathsheba. Right. The first one would have been the one who got the inheritance but died. Right. And so, um, what you see is that the reason that child died, and I pointed out last week, was not because the child was bearing the sins for the father, that he was being punished because of his father's sins. You say, but that seems pretty unfair that this child would die. It was because it was not according to God's design. And at God's design was that Solomon ultimately would be in that role. And that he would bring that unified kingdom forward one more step. Uh, and that God would work through Solomon's uh, failings and his multiple wives and family intrigue and, and uh, conscripted labor. And I mean, Solomon did a lot of things wrong. You think this was a great king and he's held up as one of the good kings. But you look at him in our understanding of the world, it's like, man, this guy's a mess. You look at him in God's understanding of the world, it's that's according to the plan. And it's important to understand these things. And what you see here is you see, according to the world, you see the sons of David fighting it out. And there's all sorts of things involved. There's lust involved. There's crown envy involved. There's all of these, the days of our lives type, you know, things going on, Right? And in the midst of that, you see the choices that people are presented. So Tamar, recognizing that she's the weaker in, uh, amongst her brothers, says, why don't you do this the right way? Now, she didn't choose Amnon. But nonetheless, if the, she wasn't going to hinder what God could possibly do. She just says, if it's God's will, let's do it according to God's design. And what does Amnon do? He says, no. I want what I want, and I want it now. And I don't care about anything else. And so he did. And that lasted for how long? <laughs> that lasted uh, less than... You know, we, could, we could put minutes on it. <laughs> right. But again, he's, he's head in line, right? Yes. He knows he's heaven life. Yep. And the one thing you know about people when they get power is what they want is the one thing they can't have and they'll take it. And then once they get it, they abhor it. So right. it shows more of, like someone said, it was not love, it was lust. No, it was purely a power thing. It was. what he can get away with. And that's what we understand rape to be. Yeah. Is, uh, and in a sense, it's a very, very fundamental pure, pure sin, and that sin is a misuse of power that God has given us. When he gives us authority, 
to um, have a role, a productive role in his kingdom, he also gives us the power to do that which he's called us to do. And that the problem is, is that we misuse that power. We choose the wrong thing to execute our power on. It's a misuse of power. And in this case, it's just like so base, right? Uh, going against the very design of God at his core. And I'm sure in his mind he's thinking, King's not going to kill me because I'm next in line. What's my father going to do to me? Apparently not, not only that, but I'm going <laughs> to... All he did is say he got mad. He didn't do anything. <laughs> but, but he got called on it. Yeah. Well, but he got called on it. By a woman from near his hometown. We told him the story about God's redemptive plan. You could say that it, it, it's a little discouraging in that whatever good example David had set up to this point, all of that goes in the ash heap when he chases Bathsheba. Yep. And now that he's set an immoral example, all of his sons pick up on that immediately. Yes. And the, they only took one lesson to, to, to learn how to misbehave. It's like feeding your dog from the table. You know, yes. They only need one lesson to learn. Yeah. And I, I actually, uh, in my uh, job, I'm, I'm part of this leadership development thing that's going on, which is going to take me to Washington, D.C. after the inauguration. And... Uh, one of the guys in this leadership development with me is a dog trainer. And he pointed out that it requires 100% obedience. Because if you let down for one act of the dog in training that dog, you've lost the whole thing. Because what the dog will do is he will do what a dog does. He wants his way. And um, you give him his way once and he realizes that he has power over you, right? And the, and the training goes sideways really, really quick. So you have to have 100% obedience. Now, think about that in our relationship with the Lord, not that we're dogs, um, but we are that simple before the Lord. And there are things that he requires of us because he's training us. And when we choose our own way, it goes sideways really quick. And in fact, if you recall, and I've probably read this last week too, um, when uh, Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 and 7, talks about this very thing. So we're looking at, and this is foundational, uh, probably the, the key thematic statement of the Pentateuch, which is the five books of the law of Moses. It says in uh, 34, verse 6 of Exodus, it says, then the Lord passed in front of him, that is Moses, and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. Yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and on the grandchildren to the third and fourth generations. Now, in our Bible study on Friday night, we had a discussion about that word visiting and why that particular word is there but what this is talking about is not that the child or the grandchild or the great grandchild would bear the punishment for the sin of the father because it explicitly tells us in the Bible that's not the case it tells us that repeatedly 
But what it's talking about is how that sinful act affects everything around us. By choosing that which is against God's will and God's design, it has an impact, not just on our children, but on our children, on our children's children, to the third and fourth generation. That's a pretty wide area of destruction. So, frankly, these last two chapters were really disturbing. Okay? Yes. And this whole week, you know, in a way, is disturbing too. Um, so, I guess I would like to remind us of that. I think we talked about this a couple months ago, uh, but help me out here. And I thought it was Isaiah 42, but now I can't find it. But you know that scripture we always give to the kids when they're graduating that says, um, in essence, uh, I know I have plans for you and plans for you. Where is that again? Jeremiah. Oh, Jeremiah. Yeah. It's Jeremiah. Anyway, um, so I think we discussed this in here a few months ago, right? Here's the thing. That the context of that verse um, is Israel is going into exile yes. for 70 years. Yes. Okay. So <clears throat> he's saying before that um, that they're to marry, in marriage, to do good for the city, yep. uh, to essentially pray and bless that culture that they're going into. Because you're supposed to do that regardless of the that's right of the, more the situations of that. So as yeah. as children of God, you know we don't just check out and say, "Wow, this culture really sucks and everything." And I'd yeah. like to move to Indonesia or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I would, but yeah. okay, besides that, <laughs> I don't think so. No, I was thinking I don't. <laughs> Well, the point is, we're supposed to still be a catalyst for good. Absolutely. Regardless of the culture around us disintegrating, right? Yep. So, I guess I'm trying to get a takeaway out of these last few chapters. It's reasonable. Here's here's the takeaway. Here's the takeaway. And this is what we need to talk away with. And we're skipping over a lot of how sin works and the dynamic and how that fits into God's plan for Messiah. But in chapter 14, you have this woman that by, um, from its very inception, is about deception, right? She is coming to deceive the king, and she's a great actress. Yet in the midst of that, God uses her, just like he used Balaam. And in the broken world, this woman says this. She said, uh, in verse 14 of Second uh, Samuel 14, it says, For we will surely die, and are like water spilled on the ground, which cannot be gathered up again. Think about that for a second. This is an arid land. Water is precious. You pour it on the ground, it is useless. You can't gather it back up again. You're taking the most precious resource that they have, and you're wasting it. Yet God does not take away life, 
but plans ways so that the banished one will not be cast out from him. See, in the midst of this, God is, in the midst of this, redeeming his creation. It's messed up. God is redeeming that. And that's why I wanted to start out in Psalm 23, because that's a psalm of hope. It's a psalm of knowing who is king and what that king is capable of doing. In the midst of this messed up days of our lives soap opera, God speaks. And it changes David's heart. That's the key why David is a man after God's heart. It changes David's heart. It does not change Absalom. Do you think God wanted Obama? Pardon? Do you think God wanted Obama for president? Wow, what a look. <laughs> <laughs> well, time's up. I believe that God is on the throne and that that God is personal that he is my Lord Jesus who walked you know the song says he walks with me he talks with me right he tells me I'm his own I believe that God is on the throne and that nothing can thwart his plan not Obama Obamacare, uh, Republican, uh, Congress, uh, you know, Democratic Senate, none of that. It's important for us to participate because God has planted us here. And that was been repeatedly said. We have a responsibility. But our responsibility is to make the right choice for God today. And that affects those around us. God's responsibility is for the care and redemption of all of creation. Glad I don't have that job. I just want to be part of his army. So that's what that's what I would say to answer that question. Well, and I saw a couple of hands go up. <laughs> yes, sir. I had uh, Proverbs 21, uh, one there is just uh, encouraging for me on this. So the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. He directs it like a water course wherever he pleases. So it doesn't matter who's in charge. Right. God's ultimately in charge. Exactly. And and that's, I think, where we should close. Because, um, you know, I introduced kind of doom and gloom. But <laughs> it isn't doom and gloom when we look to the future and what's truly in God's hand. So let's go ahead and close with that. Lord, I just thank you for this day. I thank you for the incredible... Um, privilege and opportunity that you've given us, even though it doesn't look like privilege, and it's an opportunity that in many ways we like to run away from. But Lord, you've called us to a very significant uh, time in history, a time when uh, amongst sin and division and chaos, uh, you've called us to be lights, and you've called us to be uh, your voice of redemption in this world, that we get to speak of the resurrected Christ and that he rules today and that he is returning. Lord, help us to always carry that message and be encouraged. Let us not grow weary in doing good because we know that in due season we'll reap a harvest because that's the way that you've designed it, Lord. Keep 
keep us within your, your protection, Lord. Keep us under your wing. Lord, we thank you so much for your protection, your provision, and your service to us in such fundamental ways that when we consider them, um, all we can do is fall on our face and worship before you. Lord, help us truly be good servants as well. We lift to you this morning the, the message that Pastor Bob will speak, uh, a message of redemption, a message of good news. And Lord, we just ask that your spirit powerfully enable him, that you would uh, carry us and, and powerfully speak through us this week. Thank you, Lord Jesus. And we lift to you those that are struggling with infirmity amongst us. We ask that you would touch and heal. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for all of this in your name. Amen. Amen.